hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Mike um, Alanasi, and I'm the Associate Director for Students uh, Leadership uh, here at Student Life at NYU AD. And tonight, uh, our guest is Professor Pranish uh, Jagannathan, and uh, he is the uh, the managing director of Start AD and also a professor here at NYU uh, AD. Uh, this uh, episode will be uh, recorded and featured on our podcast, uh, Torch Igniter, so uh, students and other audiences can listen to it later on. Uh, we are so delighted to have you uh, with us tonight, Ramesh, and uh, welcome to the show. And just to start us off, if you can take us back to the days where you at the stage and the age of uh, our students. Let's think back, uh, Ramesh, 18, 19 year old, starting your college career. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? Uh, uh, what was your, uh, your path in terms of uh, your college studies and then going on to uh, you know, your professional life and then ending with maybe your story? How did you end up here in Abu Dhabi? Oh, thank you. It's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be uh, here. Thank you, Mawafik, and I appreciate it. Um, going back to my early days, that's a long time ago. Uh, I grew up in Chennai in India. At that time, we used to call it uh, Madras. And it's a, one of the big cities in India. And um, I, when I, when, I was a geek in, in those days. I'm probably still a geek. Uh, science and uh, turns me on, you know, out of the curiosity. And as a in high school, uh, I, you know, in India, interestingly, in those days, you know, it was not very wealthy. It was very poor. It's a, you know, what at that time, you know, developing economy, and there were not many jobs. So uh, you can't pursue your dreams, so to speak. You know, there are forced choices that are, you know, the concept of forced choice was interesting in those days. I'll give you a personal example. I always, I loved science and I wanted to be a physicist. And that's a very famous college in uh, Madras called Presidency College. And it's set on the shores of the Marina Beach, the big, huge, beautiful beach. And major scholars uh, have studied there and gone on to bigger and better things. My dream was to go to that college and graduate with a degree in physics. I got admission and, uh, but you know, in those days, you know, you, uh, there's a lot of pressure on, uh, from the family to, either, to get a professional degree. I don't know if you can relate to it or not. So you had to become an engineer or you had to become a doctor or you become a Absolutely. lawyer. Absolutely, that's the only two choices in my family. <laughs> yeah. So I was forced to apply also to uh, engineering school and uh, chemical engineering at the time was a very popular thing. It was in those days when petroleum refining oil, oil was big, right? And as we now know, a lot of countries have benefited from the discovery of the oil. Um, so the ideal thing was to get a chemical engineering degree, go to get a job in a refinery, you know, and have an established career. Uh, for people, it's a very big change because, you know, uh, previously the only jobs that people uh, aspired for where railway jobs, you know, the importance of railways was very important because it's about stability in any, you know, um, developing country, it's very difficult to get jobs. I'll give you my own personal example. So it's important to have a profession and you study to get that, you know, profession to get a job. So I got admitted to presidency college in physics and I had gone there early in the morning to give my fees. Uh, it was like nine o'clock in the morning. And I was just, I had handed in my fees and I had to stand in line to sign something. I was like nine or 10 students away. And I, I was on the third floor 
on, in the hallway standing and I heard somebody, you know, running up the stairs at the end of the hallway. I could hear and shouting out my name, Ramesh, stop, Ramesh, stop. It was very dramatic. And I said, I said Ramesh is a common name. I said, maybe it's not for me, yeah. but then the sound got closer and closer. Then it became familiar. It was my 70 year old grandfather running up the stairs and stopping me in my tracks to you know, sign on to become a physicist saying that I have gotten admission in an engineering school that I wanted. And he pulled me out of the room, out of the line, went and got the fees that I had paid and then took me to show the admission that I have got. That's how dramatic it was. Wow. So, you, <laughs> so you ask about entrepreneurship, right? Uh, you know, pursue your dreams. Those were all you know, not on my plate. We didn't know. Uh, we, we didn't relate to it. We didn't understand it. And the irony is that I went to, uh, you know, went on to graduate. I had full scholarship. I went on to graduate at the top of the university of, you know, there were 200 out of the 250 plus students and received the gold medal. But I, I got only one job that was like 2000 miles away. You know, India is, you know, so many different countries. It's like different countries like Europe. So, uh, you know, it's like going to another foreign land. And I didn't get any of the job. So that sort of tells you, you know, nothing is guaranteed. And uh, I told my mother, uh, I'm going to go to get, go to the job. And she put her foot down. She says, absolutely not. So uh, I still remember uh, this conversation with her. She said, you're going to America, go discover yourself. <laughs> that was a big thing for her to say. And so, uh, so I went to America to discover myself and I got my PhD. Um, to, I went to it's Clarkson College in a small little town in upstate New York called Potsdam. Uh, um, to me, what I found, you know, that was a very difficult time because even though I was the top student and I got, actually it's interesting, I got, <laughs> this comes back to entrepreneurship. I got admitted to Stanford and uh, I had a choice to go to Stanford or Clarkson and uh, the Stanford people said, you know, since we don't know your university at that time, because it was a long time ago, um, they said, uh, after you come here, after the first semester, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll likely get, get the scholarship. I didn't even have money to pay for the plane fare. I had to take a loan, right? So I turned down Stanford and I went to Clarkson because they gave me a full scholarship. So um, I found that, you know, India at the time was very regimen, uh, rule-based learning, you know, rote memory and things like that. So I found that in the first class, I didn't really understand. I was very insecure because I felt like I didn't know anything. You know, that was the time, you know, I realized that, you know, things started to crystallize, you know, that the whole American concept really was very appealing is that you have to take the risk. You have to put yourself in challenging situations and things will come to you. So the education in India was very powerful. It, it was the foundational level, it, but American introduction to the American uh, graduate school actually crystallized it for me. It made me who I am today at that time. So that was interesting. Um, so I want, I, want, I want to take you back to that moment when your uh, mother said, go discover yourself in America. And it's really interesting because I, I find myself thinking about this a lot. Because uh, when I moved to the US, I was at age, I was about 25 and then starting my undergraduate then. Uh -huh. 
I'll tell you, there was a lot of discovery, but my journey and the discovery that happened mostly outside the classroom. Um, and how, how do you reflect yeah. that as a, as a value of education, especially now we are... That's you know, a good point. Yeah, yeah we're working in that. a liberal art, uh, yeah. American education. Yeah. There is much emphasis on the, the value of education from the families where we come from, but also there is so much education outside the classroom. Absolutely. So uh, it's interesting. So what I, as I was mentioning, as I, the, my first exposure to the American, I'll tell you how silly, uh, how ignorant or uninformed I was. I landed in New York City, and then uh, I, my only knowledge about America is through Hollywood, you know, um, you know, New York City and and all that. So when I landed, I was asked to cha I change a plane. I got into like a 10-seater small plane. And the pilot actually flew very low and landed in a, a small town called Messina, which is like, you know, 30 miles or 20 miles from Potsdam. And then he landed the plane and got down and opened the luggage rack and took the luggage out and walked it over. And I, it was just, you know, to me, that's such a anticlimactic thing. I'm coming to America where the pilot is actually the luggage handler right, and opening the gate to get me in, right? It was really absurd. So I go there and I, uh, I had a host who was receiving me from the college and I asked him, you know, where do I go to eat? 42nd Street, he laughed at me. There are only four streets in Potsdam. So I just thought, you know, am I in America that I visualized or is it something else? So it was just a very unnerving experience. So then the college was very challenging initially, but I did well, but it was it really, you know, redefine me. So at the time, I told myself that the only way I can learn about who I am is to reject my past, not that discard it, but put it outside of me, right? Usually your culture and past, you know, drives and evolves throughout, but I, I made a decision that I have to put it in front of me so I can release myself from that and, re and understand the, who I am in the context of the new culture the culture both inside and outside of the school, right? So I think, you know, for example, the first week I was very hungry. I'll give you an example. You know, I, I spoke English in a, with a, such an accent. I didn't understand, I did not understand the American accent. And, you know, um, I was afraid to ask because in America, what they would, they would ask too many questions in a shop. You know, there are so many choices. I go to a sub shop and uh, they give me a bread. They ask five different bread choices. I said, yes. And the guy looked at me and he says, what about Russian mayonnaise or whatever? I said, yes. And then he stopped. He says, you have to make up your mind. I said, what? So it was so complicated. So I stopped going to shop. I just was hungry for five days. You know, I didn't want to put. So what I'm saying is it, I'm sure that this is experience is shared by many people. So what I'm saying is, like you said very correctly, you know, it's you, you are discovering yourself at the core level, you know, uh, at, at, at all dimensions. Right, so that's what happened. So uh, I said, you know, in order to really um, manage this, I need to put my past in front of me rather than be part of me. And then I, it releases me to experiment and so on. So I made a decision at that time that I will reinvent myself every five years. That means that I will put in myself in a new situation where I know the least, both in terms of knowledge and experience. And that was fun initially, but became very complicated and risky as I got older. But I have, to be true, I have maintained this throughout my career, throughout my long career. I hope that answers your question. That, that is wonderful. So let's, let's move from that little small town. I'm less, dis less disappointed about my choice about Lawrence, Kansas. So Lawrence, oh, okay. Kansas, a, a big town comparing to yours. Uh, if, 
if we can, if you can talk a little bit about um, you know the progression, sort of uh, starting your career, uh, focusing you know on uh, teaching and research, and find then working for different uh, organization, and then coming here to NYU AD. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'll be very transparent. Uh, I always wanted to do research um, in science, and I wanted to be an academic. You know, that was my dream. And this was a long time ago, um, whether it is right or not or wrong, I won't name it. So I had, a, I had excellent professors. Uh, once again, I you know, uh, did very well in grad school. And I was having this conversation with uh, you know, the chairman of the department. He very helpful, trying to help position people in careers. So he asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a fa- I know, an academic. He says, uh, I don't think that's going to work out for me. And I said, why? Because at that time, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there were, you know, those jobs are very priced jobs, and they only went to Westerners. You know, Australia, he, he said that you're not going to get the job. You know, so don't even try. So uh, then I got two offers, you know, I accepted it, and I went to work for a major pharmaceutical company in New Jersey, uh, worked um, the first year, but that was once again, you know, um, was very challenging because I, 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 I realized I didn't know how to be an engineer in an industry. It was very traumatic for me at the time. Once again, I thought I had sort of grown to a level of confidence and uh, uh, I did very well in grad school. I, I got two or three offers, but then put in the situation, I, I really uh, didn't know how to do the job. Uh, not because of lack of trying. It's just that the whole thing was very challenging. Um, so one day after working all night, I came home. I was living in Princeton at that time, so I had to drive. Um, you know, uh, I uh, told my wife, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm going to call Kodak because I had met a, a, a person from HR uh, who had visited Clarkson. Uh, I said, uh, my wife laughed at me. She said, what do you think? You can just uh, call somebody and say you want a job and you're going to get a job. I said, uh, I have no choice. And uh, well, she also, she didn't want to go back to Rochester, which, you know, from Potsdam, Rochester is no, you know, great shape. So it's cold, 100 inches of snow every year. You know, uh, Princeton, we are living in Princeton, New York City is a bus trip away. So, but anyway, I made a call. Guess what? They called me in for an interview next week, the following week. I had you know, a full day of interview at the end of the day. When I was leaving, they offered me the job. And I accepted it against serious protests from my wife, but we moved to Rochester, New York. And in those days, Kodak was like Apple or Google now, you know, it has a, you know, it's a huge company, major brand. It had, a, you know, it, it spread from, I remember Ridge Road, you know, all the way to the lake, seven miles, um, you know, all Kodak, it had its own railroad, it had its own security force, it has its own fire brigade. And uh, there were about 2,000 scientists, you know, and engineers in the research labs, 1,500 PhDs, absolutely an honor. And I walk in and the HR person says, we are giving you a $2,000 increase in your salary. You know, in those days we are not paid very well, but the dollar was more strong. So it was like that. So then I entered the corporate world. Anyway, so I'll stop here. I don't want to keep talking, but... You know, you asked me how, you know, so instead of wanting to be an academic, I went to into the corporate world and I stayed there for 30 years. I can describe a little bit more and then come back to how I became an academic and then now doing start AD. To me, it sort of say that I will um, reinvent myself every five years is an entrepreneurial statement to yourself, right? Uh, 
I'll stop briefly so that uh, yeah. you can ask me. Uh, is it, am I on the right track in terms of what? No, you this, this this is really as a conversation, and then uh, really just wonderful to hear your experience and uh, and get to connect with that. But let's let's forward to now. You're managing uh, director for Star AD. For yeah. some of us, we don't have a full grasp of what is Star AD. Can you give us a little bit of uh, sort of a description? What is Star AD as an organization? What do they do? Uh, who's yeah. involved? Uh, okay, great. Our great. students are part of that. Great. So uh, after spending a major part of my life in um, uh, in a major company like Eastman Kodak Company. Uh, when I uh, left, uh, I was looking for an opportunity. And I saw this ad uh, from Envoy Abu Dhabi. And I was, it, it, at, when I showed it to my wife, she said, well, it's, the job description is as if I wrote it. And uh, based on her encouragement, I applied. I said, they're not going to call me. I'm an industrial guy, right? Guess what? After about, in the meantime, I had another job with a major chemical company, $9 billion company. They wanted me to create a new innovation department and move the products into China and India. Uh, that president was after me, he was going to give me free cars for uh, six months and so on. But then one Saturday morning at nine o'clock, I got a call from the NYU um, engineering school provost. And uh, she said, are you still interested? I said, yes, uh, but you have to move fast. And they did move fast. At that time, Marriott was the provost, uh, Marriott and uh, Al Bloom, um, they all uh, pulled together and Ron um, um, was, I think, also part of the process. Um, so I, I got the offer signed in a matter of a week and I made a decision to come to Abu Dhabi. Uh, the thing that interested me was uh, everybody, I'll tell you why I decided to choose Abu Dhabi, because uh, everyone that I talked to in my family and my friends said that, well, what are you going to do there? You're not a traditional academic. You're bound to fail. And uh, Abu Dhabi is, is an oil-based economy. You know, uh, there is a, a push to change into a knowledge-based economy. But it's going to take a long time. And, you know, this is not, you know, something that is in the horizon for me in the next 10 years. I said, whenever it, in my past experience, whenever somebody, you know, really does not give anybody a chance, I say that that's where I want to be because one should not be so dismissive. Because to me, imagination is free. Human beings around the world are all gifted. Given the proper opportunity and the encouragement and the facilities, they can all become global leaders and changers. And Abu Dhabi's mission, NYU Abu Dhabi's mission was exactly that. I made a decision at the time, I want to be in NYU Abu Dhabi. When I came the first year, I was asked to be on the panel of five experts to certify the Abu Dhabi uh, 2030 vision. So I got a deep introduction to what uh, you know uh, the leadership in uh, Abu Dhabi is planning to do in this transformation. NYU Abu Dhabi is a major strategic investment for the country, the Emirate. Um, so when uh, about four years, three years into my uh, I think four years into my tenure, uh, I, I was able to scrape together about hundred thousand dollars, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I created the Idea Lab that's now the Engineering Design Studio. Hired Matt Carew, who's just an amazing individual, gifted individual from MIT Media Lab, and then uh, the following year, when the oil price was the historic low, one week later, we're working closely with Tom Keen. 
um, I was uh, yeah, able to raise um, uh, you know, significant uh, level amount of funding from Tumkeen. Um, um, John Tate was critical in that he, um, you know, so uh, now I have the money. And they said, uh, I was told that the good news is I have the money, the, uh, the bad news is I have the money because all the focus is on how you're good. So I have a three year runway to create something tangible. So at that time, uh, you know, hiring and all takes time. It was just me and I had, uh, you know, Robin. So the two of us, I hired her actually, you know, because I didn't have, you know, she joined me as one of my assistants. So we launched in a matter of uh, uh, one month, uh, you laid out an entire calendar for the year for 52 weeks. And uh, so we took off from there and it was a lot of uh, planning. Uh, I have an amazing team. Um, you know, without the team, nothing could have been done. Uh, we, you know, we are now in our fourth year, fifth year, and we are in the process of scaling. We are a team of 10. Uh, we have over 6,000, 7,000 people who have attended our programs. We have, uh, we work on several uh, sectors. Our goal is to build the ecosystem. At a platform level, uh, we created this course called Alversha course. We teach anyone. My philosophy is that you should always remove barriers in whatever you do. So uh, I told one of my students who started to work for me, Abdul Razak, he's an NYU AD graduate, um, create a course to teach everybody in the community how to build smart systems. They should be able to build Alexa on their own, uh, Google Home or a smart vehicle or an Apple Watch, just from off the shelf hardware and open source uh, software. He did it. We teach everybody in one day how to do these things in our lab. And we have graduated over 1000 people, very, very popular class. So that's at the foundational level. Then we reached out to the private sector, worked with the you know, leadership, and we created a corporate innovation program. We, uh, we brought startups from around the world who are working on problems that the corporates here are working on. And we have graduated now over 120 uh, global startups from 24 countries. They've gone on and raised $60 million, created 250 jobs. We've created about 60 paid pilots with the local corporations, a huge success. Then we worked with Khalifa Fund and created the Emirati Ptikari program to train you know, Emirati entrepreneurs. Then we created this program to commercialize research, deep tech research from NYU faculty and also the other faculty. So that's, we have done two programs on this. It's actually ramping up significantly. We, we also run what's called the Youth Entrepreneurship Program. We, we get all the seniors and juniors from all the universities, we put them through a program. So that has been pretty successful. Interesting thing is that 50% of, in majority of these programs is in the Global Entrepreneurship Program, co Corporate Innovation, there's 25% female founders, but all the other programs, we have 50% female founders. Amazing statistics, beats the world statistic by hands down. Also now we uh, are talking to another government in, uh, in uh, Africa. They have come to us and say, they have, you know, we would like you to help us build the uh, ecosystem there. So, we, so that's what we are. Uh, we roll up our sleeves, you know, uh, get into the trenches. And I have a team that just is loving the job. And uh, we are looking to, uh, we, our goal is to put Abu Dhabi and NYAD on the global map and uh, ride the long wave of the AI and deep learning innovation, the second machine age. I'll stop here. I hope that yeah, answers. Wonderful. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. But I, I want to ask you, okay, let's say uh, 
a freshman starting this year at Inoyo AD and wondering, okay, Star AD looks really fascinating to me. How can they get involved, maybe small steps? Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay. And actually, as you know, Moafik and Jeremy and Nathan, they have been talking to you because we are trying to actually open that platform and the window into NY Abu Dhabi and institutionalize a little bit. So far, it has been done in an ad hoc basis. So the first step is reach out to us and start, we have an internship program. Okay, so we're actually hiring right now. So uh, I, I've told Jeremy and Anthony that we need to ramp up, be, uh, you know, reinforce that. So uh, that to me is the early entry in exposure into Start ADP. Also, we run a lot of programs online. All the programs that I mentioned, the Corporate Innovation Program, Youth Entrepreneurship Program, um, the uh, Alversha Program is now on pause because we can't actually physically be there. So they are available online. So, you know, I would encourage you to reach out to us and be, uh, be an observer, see what educate you. So the first step is to educate yourself. I think entrepreneurship is not for everyone, right? It's very hard. It's, a, it's not an ad hoc thing like, you know, somebody having a great idea, uh, working in the garage and saying, okay, you know, this becomes a unicorn. Yes, those things happen, uh, but that's not the norm, right? It's a very disciplined, uh, process. Uh, we teach them a repeatable, scalable process that they can use regardless of the idea they work on. And it's a lot of educational material that we have learned in the form of heuristics from the learning of the last 60 years from Silicon Valley and Boston. And we, you know, it's available to everyone. So we teach them that process. So, uh, so the key thing is that you have to find out whether this is for you, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of hard work. So that's what I would do. First, focus on getting yourself educated. Yeah, and I would assume a lot of students, uh, especially, you know, coming into university and it's such a, a way to explore and discover themselves, but also they want to create solutions for all problems and uh, they're so excited about it. And I think we are so ever connected with each other through technology. And I think, uh, I mean, you talk about the technical aspect of being uh, in, a, in a, an entrepreneurship sort of a situation, but also it takes more to that than just the technical skills. So yes. what, what are some of the things that you think they are really essential to be successful in entrepreneurship? And what are some of these, uh, I would say, uh, uh, misnomers or misunderstandings, especially young people when they try to get into starting mm -hmm. a small business? Yeah. So the first uh, uh, misconception is that people think that you know entrepreneurship will make you into a billionaire. Wrong. <laughs> that's that's not that's not why you are getting in there. Don't get into entrepreneurship because that it's attractive to get the title of CEO or something. No, no, no. That's not in there. Um, also, there's a big misconception that you know if you have a great idea, right? Oh, that's it. Oh, I'm going to turn it into a huge company. Wrong. The value, the contribution of the idea is only 20% to the larger value of the company that you're forming. 80% is not at all related to the idea. It's a supporting infrastructure that you create, right? The team is actually very important. They work on marketing, they work on sales, they work on, uh, not, obviously they work on the technology aspect of it. Uh, they also uh, work on the fundraising aspects of it. The finance aspect of it is very key because the journey to from starting from idea stage to uh, when you're ready to get uh, institutional funding like a VCs, that journey is very treacherous. Usually 80% of the startups fail. 
you know, the initially you start with what we call an idea and then you get a group of team. You can't do it alone. You have to be a team. You have to share your ideas. You can't just say it's also such a secret. I'm not going to tell you. No, uh, because the product that you end up with and the idea that you start with are probably most likely not connected to each other in most cases. So the more you share, you actually learn and you correct and pivot your idea throughout the journey. That's the first misconception. You all think your idea is the most important. It's not so. And share your ideas and talk to them because if you share your idea and somebody is doing it, then it's not worth being in the business because even though you may start a company and make some money, somebody will beat you out of the game. Okay, so then it's not worth it. So it's about creating a brand. And so initially you form a team, you put your personal money in and get yourself educated, which NYA is Blue Start AD is offering. And then you erase the first round of funding through what we call three Fs, FFF, friends, family, and fools. It's not a lot of money. They give it to you because they love you, you know. So you try and do this. And after that, you become, you know, uh, you, know you grow a little bit more, more, your company, your idea becomes clarified a little bit more. Then you look for angels. The idea of the angel investor comes actually from Broadway in the arts, right? The patron of the arts, you know, because that's usually where they support the arts. So that's where the term came. So here, even though the valuation is very murky, these angels, they are previous entrepreneurs. They understand and they actually know what is uh, less risky, what is more risky. And so they get, take the risk and give you the money. The institutional investors won't give it to you. This process of raising angel investment is very challenging, right? People think, oh, I have a great idea. You can get money. Having more money than you deserve is the worst thing that can happen to you because then you do all the wrong things. You make all the wrong decisions. So that's one of the things when I first came to Abu Dhabi is that I've written about it is that, you know, uh, don't give me the money. Yeah, no, no. Having access to easy money is a definite killer of an idea, right? Let me earn it. And there's a process. And so that way, when you give a money, a dollar in, you know that you're going to try, at least try to get a $2 back. Right. So this aspect is, a, is actually a confusion. A lot. I have a lot of money. I should be successful. No, it's actually the other way around. Then you go to VC and institutional investors. So the funding strategy is not just technology. It's a lot of they look at what kind of a team you have, what kind of uh, dynamic you have, how balanced is your team and how committed you are. Because, you know, most of the time you're working for free, you have equity in the startup. Right. If you become successful, you take a piece of the pie of the startup. Right. And that's a significant amount of money. So these are all the things. So uh, I hope I'm answering your question. There's a lot of confusion about, you know, yes, the entrepreneurship is very sexy and so on, but it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of so, hard work. So, so when you look at this whole notion about, uh, you know, being in business and being competitive and that sort of, uh, you know, uh, isolate you in a sense that uh, you become less of a, a collaborator or a, or a team player. Mm -hmm. Some skills and some of the competencies you're trying to promote is to be a team player, to be somebody who is committed. What are some of these um, uh, venues where you actually uh, make the learning happen in terms of uh, the, the students or the young people that you deal with when they come to you with an idea? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so that's, that goes back to our, see, Abu Dhabi and the UAE are an emerging ecosystem, right? 
an ecosystem like Silicon Valley has a lot of history. There are a lot of successful entrepreneurs. So if you take, for example, Y Combinator, right? If you have an idea, you go to Y Combinator. If you get admitted, then, you know, like Airbnb and, you know, um, uh, Lyft and all those other companies. I don't know if they, yeah, I know Airbnb came out of Y Combinator. There's a number of big, you know, startups came out of Y Combinator. What they do, they don't offer a lot of programs. You know, every Tuesday I was told is that there's a big dinner where all the mentors, they have a huge connection to the mentor pool in the Silicon Valley. They have successful entrepreneurs, venture investors, you know, venture capitalists, so they all come and you get to talk to them. And in talking to them, they give you very valuable advice, right? So that's why getting into, you know, accelerate like a Combinator is very important because you have immediate access to these amazing people who have a lot of knowledge and information. In Abu Dhabi, we don't have that, right? It's an emerging ecosystem. There are not that many people here from this region who are extremely successful and they understand the ecosystem and its needs. So what I decided is that in its absence, I'm going to make all of our, prog all our, our plan to be very program intensive. So in the absence of the mentors, there's a lot of knowledge available from Silicon Valley that's available online. We bring it in, we curate it, and we teach the people here. So they are virtual mentors, and, but they are very programmatic. So we have trainers who train them. So that's not ideal, but it's the best thing we have got. So, to, so that they talk about team, they talk about finance, they talk about the process. And you know, so that's where they learn. They learn in start with programs. So if anybody who coming to NYU Abu Dhabi from a freshman year, if they're interested, they should, the easy thing is to try, try to be an intern, uh, follow us, do the work with us. We have some amazing interns from NYU AD. Also attend all of our programs and then apply for our programs, right? You, for the first thing would be the youth entrepreneurship and I actually charged uh, 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 Jeremy to come up with some creative special programs for NYU AD students that are outside of our mainstay program. So we are in the process of creating educational programs for NYU students just to answer that question that you raised. It's all well, that, program, it's a programmatic thing. That's how we are going yeah, to address that, That's wonderful. And you talk about this uh, uh, global connection. And uh, you talk about entrepreneur uh, that they, they want to start their own startup and businesses. And they are maybe locals here in the Emirates. But then it's uh, it's really about having uh, a wide network of yes. uh, experts and having to understand how business is done globally. Yes. But as we talked uh, in the past about this whole concept about leadership and global leadership and how some uh, some students really don't they're not too keen about the, the concept of global leadership and mm -hmm. you take on it was really uh, interesting and I would like you to kind of just tell us a little bit about this whole notion of global citizenship that, uh, that you, you really uh, think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great focus point for us as educators. Oh, thank you. So I think this goes back to the construction of NYU Abu Dhabi as a concept and as a university. Uh, John Sexton's great vision that he wanted to create a learning environment in higher education that you know, captures the essence of the 21st century phenomenon of globalization, right? What is globalization? It's connectedness, right? Migration between, you know, seamlessly between various places and so on, either physically or through, you know, virtually, right? So he created, we created NY Abu Dhabi and uh, with the concept that by doing this, we'll create global leaders. I'll come to that and let's see how Start ED addresses that. 
So as you know, we have students from over 120 universities and they speak a large number of languages and they think differently, right? So it, it's actually democratizes and actually it's a microcosm of the, what the globalized world is here. Then uh, in the initial construct, they said that in order to build global leaders, is the, you know, we, it's like a, a recipe, right? You have all the ingredients, but you have to put together the methodology, right? And how do you cook and get the final dish? So they said that, you know, that in the Western world, in the globalized world is very different from the Western world. I'll come back to that. So, the, you know, in, in the Western world, there are two types of colleges, the liberal arts colleges and non-liberal arts colleges, right? They work, operate in silos, right? In the globalized world, the vision in constructing NY Abu Dhabi is that the connectedness means that it's, it, we can leverage that to our strength, right? So he said that for the first two years, everyone will uh, learn uh, uh, all the liberal arts, take all the liberal arts courses, regardless of the discipline of choice. Uh, because, uh, you know, the assumption here is that the leadership, in order to be successful, let me also address leader. Leadership is not like you become a prime minister or you become CEO. The, to me, leadership is that if anybody who comes into contact with you, they have an aha moment and then they walk away. To me, that's what leadership is, right? That's cultural en enrichment, you know, the way you think, right? So to me, NY Abu Dhabi, when it's constructed by this basic platform of liberal arts courses, and then laying on top of it pillars of discipline-specific programs, is essentially saying there are three competencies you need to be successful in the world, in the globalized world, right? One, cultural competency. In a connected world, uh, the cultural competency, competency is the currency right, that allows you to exchange uh, very well, right? currency of communication. Um, the second thing is uh, the, uh, the discipline of choice that you take, right? Cultural competency, uh, uh, the, the competency in the chosen field that you have. So that's built on that. And the third thing is social accountability, right? Like we talked about ESG earlier. Whatever you do has to have respect for the planet. In the previous century, people, the most uh, knowledge economies are localized in small regions of the world. Now it's global. Can you imagine, you know, the impact of plastics? Now we are paying for it. I don't know if you remember the movie Graduate, right? Can if everybody creates a randomly, can you imagine the impact, the negative impact that our innovations can create, right? It's horrible, right? Uh, I was talking to my doctor, you know, a week ago, and he said that, you know, because of plastics and, you know, the fascination with bottled water, people forget that in the 1960s in the U.S., they start not to address the uh, dental issues, they put fluoride in the water. Now, because of bottled water, there's no fluoride, so there's all the dental problems are coming back. So what I'm saying is... the NYU AD is ideally set up, it has, you know, it has students from around the world in a huge number, faculty and academicians teaching them from around the world, right, in large numbers. They, they give you three competencies, competency, cultural competency that allows you to seamlessly have conversations, uh, you know, with any part of the world, competency in the chosen field of study and social accountability, right? We have engineers for social impact programs and we have a lot of other, so to me, that's what leadership is. And for us, as we are helping Abu Dhabi, the Abu Dhabi Emirate through NYUAD in these, uh, as global leaders, our focus is respect for the planet. We are running the Collective Conscious Investment Fellowship this month, and we are Angel Rising program coming up. So we not only focus on the startups, 
you know, looking to solve global problems that make sense. We are also working with the angel investors and institutional investors and the family offices to be sensitive to that. We teach them, we train them, we upskill them, right? So we bring all this together. To me, that's what, that's how I call it playing to win. To me, if Abu Dhabi has to play to win uh, in the global landscape, it cannot just follow what the US is doing. It cannot follow what the UK or other countries are doing or Singapore or uh, Korea. They have to differentiate ourselves. That's what we do in a startup, right? What is your, who's your competitor? How are you going to differentiate yourself? To me, this is the differentiation. And NYAD is a huge asset base, right? So StartYAD is actually taking all the asset base and converting into uh, uh, these tangible outcomes. To me, that's the most exciting part. And anybody who goes through the NYUAD experience, the StartYAD experience and the Abu Dhabi experience is by nature going to be a global leader. It's in their bloodstream. I hope that answers your question. I was uh, rambling no, no. on a little no, bit. No, no, this, this, this is good. And this is really kind of good framing for for the next one, the next question is really has to do with the flip side of success. And you know, uh, you know, DNA wise, uh, as human, we're engineered uh, uh, to take it really hard on ourselves if we are dealt with failure, uh, disappointment, or even rejection. And uh, a lot of the, the young entrepreneurs, uh, especially the students at the university, uh, they would struggle with that a uh, little bit. Uh, what is your take and what is your approach in dealing with setbacks? Look, it's like, uh, <clears throat> there are two things, I think, I, I, um, uh, I, I don't know if I'm quoting this correctly, that there are two things, the common uh, phrase is there are two things that are certain, taxes and death, right? Yeah, I'm going to yes. add one more thing, third, which okay. is failure. Whether you like it or not, you know, regardless of whether you have like I won't name somebody specifically. I had a conversation with uh, a student who graduated from NYU Abu Dhabi recently, and he said that he was he is going through a very self-discovery phase. Amazing student, right? Wonderful. So he was saying he was having lunch with somebody who was extremely successful, and he found that he actually found that you know um, there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with that success as well. So there is this misconception that just because you have a great job now, that means that you're successful and so that you are, there is no failure. Implicit failure is in your mind, right? I mean, how are you able to you know, manage yourself, so to speak, right? To me, um, so failure, if you want to call it a failure or the stepping stone to success is given. You can do it either way. It's half glass full or half glass empty people are going to make mistakes. We don't know what to do in any situation, right? Given situation, we know some things, right? So unless in order to succeed, you have to you know, know what you did wrong. And if you know what you did wrong, then you will actually not repeat it, right? So uh, to me, that's a given. I mean, you know, if you don't want failure, uh, then you have a problem because life is wrought with failures. You know, it's not the end of the world. You learn from it, you build upon it. You know, it builds character. And I think that's what leadership is. You know, le leadership actually permeates character. It, it embeds, in, you know, it gives you good value system. You know, so that's the way I can answer. I can give you personal stories with Start AD, talk about, you know, uh, uh, challenge. I would call it, they're not failures, they're challenges. And how do you pivot? If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to pivot and you have to pivot in a very responsible way. 
you have to pivot in a way that you de-risk the process of change and so on. So uh, you, at some point when we talk about how we evolved from start AD, you know, on day one to where we are now, it's, it's filled with pivots. You know, one thing that, so there's a word in the startup world, you know, I'll, I'll mention that pivoting is necessary because, you know, startups become very successful, you know, when they know what's called the product market fit, right? You don't pivot as often once you have found your product market fit, but until then you have to pivot constantly. That's not failure. That's actually walking towards victory. Okay. So if you don't, uh, if you don't, Pivot, you're going to die. That's really failure. So that means I, I absolutely love this whole concept of uh, pivoting, especially when we talk about the situation with COVID. Yes. Something that's globally imposed on uh, great economies and institutions and uh, companies, uh, and and kind of change the sense of uh, norm normalcy. It it is uh, it is a uh, new territory. Uh, some they might have to divest, some they had to stop completely, but some they had to pivot in order to uh, be productive. In your, in your own sense, looking at you know, what we experienced so far in terms of COVID globally and going forward, do you think that uh, us as uh, maybe educators or uh, uh, even uh, leaders in, in business, uh, is there is any uh, going back to the old days, the old ways, or it's going to be a new, new normal? Um, so that's a great question. So let me give you my take on it. Okay, I don't know the answer to the question, but you know, obviously, I have a view, and I can share with you that view. Uh, and also, that view is laced with the fact, you know, of where I come from, from India, which was a developing economy. And developing economy can be different things. You can have a lot of money and still be a developing economy because you are, you know, that's the asymmetry between what you do to generate wealth and, you know, what the rest of the world does to generate wealth, right? So there are always asymmetries there. So two things. Clearly, COVID has impacted uh, the higher education, right? We are talking remotely. Otherwise, we would be, right? So is it a good or a bad thing? Let me uh, give you some data, okay? Uh, Obviously, you know, in education, in higher education, there is something called content and there is something called delivery, right? So, um, so if you look at the numbers, um, the num the, in the U.S., right, only a, after the World War II, only a third of the U.S. population had a high school education, okay? That is really scary, right? That was not very long ago. Now they've done very well, almost 90% have a high school diploma. So if you look at the global population, 7.2 billion last I looked, right? Only 425 million have a four year college degree, right? That's, a, you know, in terms of percent, you know what that is? 7%, that's unacceptable period, right? More than 4 billion people who are over 25 years of age do not have a college degree, okay? That is just an unacceptable statistic. So we cannot accept that, okay? So people can say, you know what? They are either not having a degree because they don't they're not ready for college education or they don't have access. Let me give you another amazing statistic. In the early 2000, the founder of Udacity, all right, which is the pioneer in the whole remote learning thing, um, 
he opened this class on artificial intelligence that he taught at Stanford. Usually he has like around 150 to 100 and, uh, 200 people. He put it online, right? After he put it online, he had about 160,000 uh, people uh, join it, okay? 200 and 160,000, uh, you know, that's mind boggling. There were, according to him, to quote him, they were people from all kinds of backgrounds, business people, high school kids, retired people, people on dialysis, right? There were students from around the world who were motivated enough to translate the class themselves for free from English to 44 languages, okay? That's remarkable, right? That shows the hunger that people have. But the real clincher here is that when the class ended, the top 410 students, they are not Stanford. They were not Stanford students. That is, the, you know, Stanford is the ivory tower, right? Everybody aspires to go. You open this up, there is no restriction as to who can take the class. The top 410 students were not from Stanford. You know, the 411th student may be from Stanford. He does, we don't have the data yet on who the other people were. They may still be the 412 to maybe 500 is from outside of Stanford. What does that tell you? The education system is outdated. It was meant and created for special type of people in a you know, long time ago with this particular inclination to learn, right? Abu Dhabi, in a way, Abu Dhabi is actually breaking the paradigm, right? But in a Britain model situation. But COVID-19 says, you know, let's expand that, make it online, right? So to me, I come from Kodak when in the 80s, they said when digital was coming on board, actually Kodak invented the digital camera. They said, oh, digital will never supersede chemical imaging. They said, look at the quality, it's so bad. If you now compare, chemical imaging is dead and the quality of the digital imaging surpassed hands, <laughs> unbelievably the chemical imaging technique. There is a lot of information about, and also we are in the AI, the second machine age, the deep learning. They are going to revolutionize the experience of the personal learning. The whole concept of pass-fail will be gone by into the sidelines. Personalized learning where it's focused on educating people rather than whether you meet a certain, you know, on a broad scale, whether you meet certain standard, otherwise you fail or you pass, those are all going to be gone by the wayside. To me, it's an opportunity that we should have taken long ago because to feel comfortable that we, we, with only 7% of the people having college education is, should be unacceptable to everyone in the world. To me, NYU Abu Dhabi can actually, based on this experiment that we have, we call it the grand experiment, where we have the microcosm of the globalized world, we, we can build and lead the way in the challenge and the online education. And not more, when you say neo-normal, it seems like an anticlimactic. No, it's not a neo, the, we are leading change. And we should lead change. We have amazing intellectual capacity amazing representation from around the world, amazing cultural diversity. I say that when we, we, we do so much work upfront in selecting students who come to the university. To me, the next step is what do we do with them once they are here? They should not just get another traditional Western education. They need to continue to grow and the, build on the concept that we use to actually entice students to come here and elevate to the next level. 
I'm hoping to do that with Start AD in terms of what we do with the students who come out of here and the environment. Our focus is not just UAE. We want to lead the way in uh, MENA and also all aspects, all countries in Africa. I think NYAD in the educational sector should also try to do that. AI is just changing the way we think and the technology is there. Kodak is a very good example. I'll stop here. I'm just... Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is fascinating. And I'll tell you, I can talk to you about this stuff for the next four hours. But, uh, but uh, I, I, th I think also to uh, really give time to the audience to, to ask some questions and have interaction with you. Yeah. We have a lot of other uh, questions that related to the future of work, relating to AI, relating to uh, human development. Uh, we, we're hoping that we, we can uh, maybe have a future conversation, a continuous one about the topics. But I, what I want to do now, I want to turn to the audience and I just uh, want to let you interact with Ramesh. Uh, if you have a question, please just go ahead and unmute yourself and, uh, and talk directly. Can I, can I first give a shout out to my friend, Anna? Hi, Hi sure. Anna. <laughs> Good to see you. We were just talking about you. Hello. Hi. Good to see all of you. Good to see you. All right. I'm, uh... All right, go ahead if you have questions. Um, this is not a question, but I'd just like to say that this webinar was so, I don't know how to, I, I don't even have words. It was so inspiring. Like I've never been more inspired, especially by the story of your upcoming and everything. I just oh, thank you. You're very, very you're very kind. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I have a question, Ramesh. So you, you were talking about um, failure, but then also calling them challenges and how, you, how the need to pivot when you are facing those challenges. So how do you personally do that? What are your tools for doing that? When you take a risk, when you put yourself out there and it doesn't work the way you wanted it to, and you know you need to pivot, you know that intellectually, but how do you personally do that? Okay, great question. Thank you. Thank you for asking that question. So um, even though, so I go back to Ronald Reagan, even though politically I was not aligned with this thinking, uh, what I liked about what he did was he had a kitchen cabinet. I don't know if you guys remember. He had official, you know, uh, uh, ministers, you know, people who worked for him, but he also had a separate, what he called the kitchen cabinet. That's where when difficult situations came, you know, there, you know, these are friends. You know, they don't have a vested interest. So they will tell him what they think. And he had a group of them that he trusted and built a relationship over a long time. And that's where he would discuss. And they'll be very honest, you know, in their assessment. And uh, to me, I take a slice of that. And I always have somebody that I trust implicitly. And I have what they call a sounding board. I'm just telling them, I'm not asking you to give me the solution to this problem. I just want you to listen to me. Because I think it's extremely important to verbalize your difficulties and the challenges and the situations. Because once you start articulating it, once you start hearing what you are saying, you realize some of the th reality that you're thinking or the challenges that you are facing are actually made up realities. They don't exist because you know you will figure that out yourself. Also, the person that you talk to will also point that out. It's a Socratic thing. So they actually ask you, what do you think? Or, so they guide you. Thirdly, I always believed in, I really relish the concept. I read a book, I forget who wrote it. It's about um, uh, wicked problems. So people should not confuse hard 
problems, you know, which are usually associated with failures to wicked problems, right? Wicked problems, you know, do not have a solution. There is no, hard problems can have a solution, right? So the idea is that when you have a challenge, a major challenge and you have to pivot, a lot of times we resort, oh, there has to be a solution, right? And you chase that solution. Wicked problems is a topic in itself. You can, there are a lot of books written about it, is that they don't have a solution. As a leader as, or as an individual, you have to choose a path, okay? So there are a few paths that are less risky than other paths. That's what's available to you, but there is no one unique solution. To me, I have sort of trained myself to accept that, you know, a lot of challenges in life are wicked problems, are laced with wicked problems. I need to verbalize my reaction to them. I need to be having friends and I have professionals who I trust. I talk to them, I have my own kitchen cabinet. And then I pick a path that I'm comfortable with. And if I do that, then I can continue to change that path because I have an open mind, right? I also de-risk it that I don't go in one way so much that if I pivot, the cost of failure is very high because I have constant checks and balances. So that's my answer to you, Renee. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that was great, Ramesh. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have, you know, in my class on design and innovation, I usually conduct an exercise because in the Western world, thinking is actually the most valued thing in people's lives, but you're only allowed to think quietly. You can't think aloud, right? So the answer to your question is you need to be able to think aloud, but not in isolation in your room with somebody else. You have to think with somebody, right? And that actually clarifies a lot of things. Any other questions from the audience? If not, thank you so much, Ramesh, for giving us the time and just wonderful, wonderful conversation. We truly, truly learned a lot from it uh, tonight. And, uh, and we, we hope that in the near future, we can uh, connect for another session and continue the conversation. And we look forward to uh, working with your organization and connecting our students to get some uh, exposure and practice to some of these leadership skills that we're trying to promote here on campus. It's my pleasure and honor and uh, thank you. And I'm looking forward to working with you. My team will work with you in a lot, you know, expanding our, you know, my interactions with the NYU Thank you very much. Thank you everyone. Thank you, thank you Renee. Thank you. And until next time. Nice to hear yeah. from you. Nice yeah. to see everybody. Yeah. Anna, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Anna, great to see you. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. I'm waiting for you to come visit Vermont and, and yes. the folks here about all of your great ideas. Yes, we'll plan on that. Absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. Uh, Goodbye, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.